This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Lots to talk about on the program. We're going to be talking with Dr. Bell Power very shortly. Uh, she is waiting on the line to talk about menopause. So if you have any questions about that, ladies, anything about estrogen or progesterone or hormones, give us a call, 1-877-399-9898. Uh, so, and we're also going to be talking with an ardent feminist, Megan Murphy, a girl after my own heart, a little bit later on in the program. Uh, we're going to be talking about... Uh, crimes against women and why we need to change some of the laws. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about this misogynistic society in which we live and also pornography as well. And also going to be talking about how to have great sex at midlife and how mental health does impact your sex, especially at midlife. Mental health is created, of course. And what else have I got on the agenda? Oh, yes, back-to-school success for parents and children and including my French toast casserole recipe complete with whipped cream. It's absolutely delicious, (laughs) I have to say. I'm excited. Please don't remind me about carbs. I did make it for my as a test. You know, I had to recreate it for my swimming crew, and they loved it. Uh, so I'll be making it again tomorrow with uh, back to school coming up. But uh, but right now we are going to talk um, about a very hot subject: menopause. And menopause is that time of life after a woman has stopped having her periods after twelve months. No periods for twelve months. You are in menopause. But the years leading up to menopause are known as perimenopause. You can have a number of symptoms: hot flashes, night sweats, leakage of urine, vaginal dryness, pain, foot pain, um, and lots of other issues as well. Hot flashes, of course. And Dr. Bell Pawa joins me on the line. She specializes in women's health and is co-founder of the West Coast Women's Health for Hormone Health. Recognizing the need for integrated medical care for midlife women, she went on to receive certification from Harvard Medical School in mind-body medicine. Dr. Pawa is a certified menopause clinician through the North American Menopause Society. Good evening, Dr. Pawa. Good evening, Maureen. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Wonderful. Now, menopause is, there are lots of uh, questions about menopause, lots of myths, uh, lots of myths, especially about estrogen, the hormone regulator of every organ in a woman's body. I I had a patient in my clinical practice recently, and she came in for another reason, but she told me that her mother had died of a heart attack at the age of 55. She was 52 years of age. Her mother had died at age 55 um, of a heart, sudden, sudden heart cardiac arrest and um, she was experiencing night sweats and hot flashes and hypertension. Now when she went and spoke to her doctor about the she just said night night sweats, hot flashes, she hadn't even gotten the word hypertension out, the doctor wrote her a prescription for hormone therapy. Because she had a uterus, she was given estrogen and progesterone and um, but she did notice this patient noticed that her hypertension had actually improved after she went on hormone therapy. Is that something that that you see? Yes, in fact, that is. I mean, we see all kinds of symptoms in our clinic, and hot flashes are very common. And we used to think that hot flashes were just benign, and we didn't pay much attention to them. But we now know that we have to take hot flashes much more seriously because they do impact your circulatory system, your heart, your blood vessels. So this lady that you speak about, um, you know, it's it's no coincidence that her blood pressure went up at that age and then her mother dying at age 55 is a huge red flag and something to watch for. That puts her at a higher risk, obviously. 
Yes, it's a huge red flag. She has a genetic predisposition and she's at risk as well. And I advised her to have a cardiovascular workup. And I, well, I asked her if her GP had recommended that. And she said, no, that her GP actually didn't really make too much of her mother's heart attack. And in fact said, well, you're, you're a runner. You live a healthy life. Uh, you know, women smoked back then. Um, but, but would you recommend that this woman be watched? I think before he on the hormone therapy, we do a, a comprehensive risk assessment, and most GPs will ask the question, was there a family history? Do you have high cholesterol? Do you have high blood pressure? And you may be a really good candidate for hormone therapy, but if you are a smoker, you're overweight, you're more prone to blood clots, you know, you're, not, you're probably not a good candidate for hormone therapy. So risk assessment is really essential. But uh, treating the hot flashes certainly would help her sleep, help her quality of life. Women feel a lot better. So helping the the hot flashes would help her blood pressure. But my point is that before you put her on the hormones, you might want to ask a few more questions first. Absolutely. And she does feel a whole lot better being on the hormones. And she said to me, as many women do, she said to me, you know, I'm not a medicine type of person. I don't even take Tylenol. I don't like to take anything. And she said, and all of a sudden, these hot flashes and night sweats started happening to me. And she said, I was just, I was trying to control them myself. I was trying to deal with them, but they were really impacting my quality of life, she said. And she does a lot of public speaking as well. And she would start to drip. And so she has been put on hormone therapy. But um, given that heart disease or is the number one killer of women. How important is heart health at midlife and during the perimenopausal and menopausal and postmenopausal years? Well, I think it's extremely important, Maureen, because if you think about it, you never hear about a woman having a heart attack when she's menstruating. Isn't that a coincidence? So we know that your biological estrogen is somehow very protective to the heart. So when a woman enters menopause, then her risk for heart attacks is same as that of a man. But the difference is this. Women wait too long. They often will come to the emergency room long after the chest pain began thinking, oh, I've just got some heartburn. Oh, I'll take some Tums. And so women wait a lot longer. And then the second problem is when they get to the emergency, the doctor doesn't take them as seriously as a male. So it's really important to recognize that heart disease in women, there's a gender difference in the size of our heart, the anatomy of our heart, and the way that we present. We present with not centralized chest pain always. We don't always have pain going down our left arm. We might just have indigestion. So it's really important for women to recognize the symptoms that are gender-specific and also to make sure they get early treatment and know their risk factors. Right. Can indigestion be the sole or the exclusive symptom of a woman having a heart attack in menopause or postmenopause? Yes, it can. So sometimes it will just be like a heartburn. It might be like a pain going through to your back. It might not be that typical symptom because our anatomical distribution of of the blood vessels in our heart are different than that of a male. The size of the heart is different. And you know the other thing, women often get a heart attack. You were talking about stress earlier. Mm -hmm. And women tend to get more heart attacks after emotional upset, and men tend to get more heart attacks after physical exertion. 
That's a coincidence too, isn't it? Yes, very interesting. So interesting. Yes. Yeah. Now, for, now hormones get a bad rap, especially estrogen, and and that's the result, the direct result of the Women's Health Initiative study that was a flawed study that entered postmenopausal women in their sixties and seventies who were already at greater risk of breast cancer and neurological disease and cardiovascular disease into this study. There have been other studies done uh, since then, such as the Keep study. But what is the recommendation for hormone therapy if a woman has decided? with her doctor based on her symptoms that her risk management, um, her, her, the benefits outweigh the risk management. Okay, so this, this is very recent, hot off the press. We had our International Hormone Society meeting here in Vancouver in June. So this is hot off the press. The current recommendation is that timing is really important. So when you go through menopause, don't wait till you're 60 years old and then go for the hormones. Try to get the hormones in the first 18 months, number one. Number two, make sure that the hormones you choose are molecularly identical. They're known as bioidentical, but actually they're molecularly same as your hormones. In the old study that you quoted, they were using Premarin and Provera. So the current hormone recommendation is to use something that is FDA approved like estradiol, which your ovary makes, or progesterone that your ovary makes. So sticking to something that your body knows. And thirdly is how do you take your hormones? Do you take them by mouth or through the skin? And we now know that if we take them by mouth, you actually change proteins through the liver and make your blood thicker making you at risk for clots. So it's probably better to have your estrogen distributed with a patch or a gel through the skin. So those are the big top three messages, and it's very safe. They do not cause breast cancer. But if you have an existing breast cancer, then I probably wouldn't prescribe you hormones. Right. And, uh, and women uh, need to take the progesterone for the uterine protection against endometrial cancer. Yes. If they have a uterus, absolutely, you have to protect the uterus. And usually you protect it with oral progesterone, which is very safe. Oral progesterone is derived from yams. Right. And that's very safe. But uh, the, uh, the estrogen that we get is also derived from plants now. But um, it's not, we don't use the oral estrogen so much anymore. Even oral birth control pills put you at a higher risk for clotting, as you know. That's right, absolutely. That's great information. I really appreciate you sharing that. I have so many women who come in and they've been prescribed the oral tablet um, or taking estrogen by mouth, and I recommend that they go back to their doctor so that they can eliminate that liver, um, you know, the increasing the thickness of the blood um, yeah. that bypass the liver. Uh, so thank you so much. Um, so uh, unfortunately, we're out of time, but we're going to talk a little bit more about menopause and hormones at a later uh, date because this is such a vast subject. So, so thank you so much. I wish you all the best of luck. Uh, you're working on a book on hormones of stress. And uh, for more information, you can go to www.drballpawa.com. That's www.drballpawa.com. Pawa.com, D-R-B-A-L-P-A-W-A.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Pawa, for joining me on the Sunday Night Health Show. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. If you have any questions at all, the number to call is 1-877-399-9898. You can email me. I'll be going through your emails, nursetalk at hotmail.com. 
com. Right now on the line, joining me is the founder and editor of The Feminist Current. It is Canada's leading feminist website, and Megan Murphy is the creator. She's a freelance writer and journalist, and she's the founder and editor of The Feminist Current. She completed a master's degree in the Department of Gender, Sexuality, and Women's Studies at Simon Fraser University in 2012. Megan has been writing about feminism since 2010. She's known for going against the grain and was the first to publish a critique of The Slut Walk back in 2011 and was one of the only popular feminist bloggers to publicly articulate both a radical feminist socialist position against the sex industry. Her critiques of third wave feminism, Twitter feminism, burlesque, self-objectification in selfies, gender identity politics, and choice feminism and her opinions on pornography have brought both acclaim and attacks, but she is a very well-respected and interesting person, and she joins me on the line, a woman after my own heart. Hello, Megan. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, thank you so much, and thank you so much for all of your good work. I want to talk about the societies, especially the society in which we live, that claims to support women's rights, but whereby misogyny continues to flourish. Mm-hmm. And why, why is that in our society? Why is that that we find that uh, people who have been convicted, found guilty of crimes, are given very lenient sentences uh, or no sentences at all? Or they're often put on probation. There was a physician in Texas who had actually raped a uh, sedated asthmatic patient and he received no jail time. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a real disconnect between what we say we believe and support in our society. We, As you say, we claim to support women's rights, we claim to support um, equality. But when you look at what's actually happening in the culture, it doesn't seem to be true. You know, for example, I mean, obviously rape happens all the time. Um, domestic violence happens all the time. Male violence against women is extremely common all around the world. It happens every single day. Um, and beyond that, things like pornography, uh, you know, pornography is extremely popular in our culture and it's more accessible and available than ever before. And it appears to be getting even more misogynist and even more violent. Um, as we move towards, you know, more of a feminist world, supposedly, you know, in the West, in any case. Absolutely. And so this violence, do you think that this violence translates into how people are living in their lives or the messages that they're getting that, it, that it's okay, that it's accepted, that's acceptable to treat women poorly, to control them, to oppress them, to violate them, to rape them? Definitely. I mean, I think that what's really interesting and troubling is that um, we don't even see pornography as misogynist. So we don't see um, and we don't count these images that so many people are looking at that are very clearly degrading, that are very clearly, you know, like often often we're looking at painful sex acts. Um, there's obviously a lot of misogynist name-calling in pornography. Um, there's a lot of racism in pornography. And somehow we've decided that because it's sex, it doesn't actually count. There's, we somehow get like a free pass in terms of misogyny and apparently racism and violence against women when, when we've determined that it's sexual 
aura that it turns us on or if we're, if we're connecting it to, you know, a kink or to masturbation or whatever. And, you know, you see, like, it's troubling in terms of what young women think they should be doing in the bedroom. And I think that a lot of young women, and not just young women, but, like, women my age, too, I'm in my late 30s, um, you sort of grow up feeling like sex is about a performance, that you're performing for men and that you have to, um, and that his pleasure is more important than your pleasure and that you have to, you know, try out all these things that maybe don't feel good to you or that you don't necessarily want to do, you know, things like anal sex, for example, things like choking in the bedroom, things like um, all these BDSM practices that have been mainstreamed, and that's what we're supposed to do lest we be called prudes. That's what we're supposed to do, we're told, if we're sexually empowering, empowered, liberated, open-minded, sex-positive women. And many women feel that they are to serve men or to service men or that pleasure is not for them. Pleasure is for the man, that sex is not for them, that sex is for the man. Uh, porn viewership has risen dramatically for a number of reasons. Pornhub has made 80% of the porn around the world free. And there are some estimates that certain sites receive 100 million unique visitors each day. So this obviously um, is leading to pornography addiction, especially amongst men, because it is on the rise. I see that in my clinical practice. Men who fear that they may be addicted to pornography and their relationships are troubled, their relationships are breaking up, they are bringing porn into their life, they're concerned about how much is too much. Uh, it's, it's a huge subject. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, porn is really bad for men. Like, it's like, it's bad for women, um, but porn is really bad for men's sex lives. You know, <laughs> like it causes impotence. It like, certainly and, does. Yeah, like, like, it can. Not, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like it, it just. I, I know men, and I know women who've had boyfriends who you know couldn't come from regular sex with with human beings. <laughs> I know. Like intercourse, right? Like, exactly. And, we're, we're, because we've got to go to a break, Megan. We've got to go yeah, to a yeah. break. Um, I thank you so much for being on the program. I'd love to have you back and we can dive into this subject of porn and the impact it has on your sex lives. And uh, also going to talk about uh, a new church that has risen up. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show right here on the Chorus Radio Network. Welcome back to the final stroke of the Sunday Night Health Show. Uh, so much time goes by so rapidly, doesn't it? Especially when you're having fun. Hopefully you're having fun. I'm having fun because I'm doing what I love, educating people. And when I learned about the pussy church of modern witchcraft, I was elated. <laughs> uh, this uh, this is a church where sisterhood is sacred. And this church has received IRS tax-exempt status in the U.S. They are in a virtual space. They are a congregation of female-born, lesbian-led women devoted to the liberation of women and girls from the oppression we face based on our sex. And if you were, if you missed the interview uh, with Megan Murphy, who is an ardent feminist and the creator of The Feminist Current, you want to go to iTunes and listen to her. She has a lot to say, and she has a lot of great information, and, and also on that uh, feminist um, uh, website, The Feminist Current, 
um, you want to go there as well and look for her information. So um, we can learn a lot from Megan Murphy. But uh, if you want to join the Pussy Church of Modern Witchcraft, you can. Um, that you just go to their uh, website and and uh, go through. They are adherence to their female-born, lesbian, feminist-based religious beliefs and traditions. They intend to serve their adherents through worship, service, and sistership with congregants. And they intend to accomplish the growth and continued strengthening of the congregation. And the beneficiaries are accomplishments uh, of their accomplishments are the adherence to their religious beliefs, women and girls. They will achieve their purpose through regular worship and service with their congregants and with other women and girls who may wish to become congregants. Uh, they have been accused of being uh, transphobic because they will only allow those women and girls into the church who were born as women and girls. So interesting that this is rising up out of the world in which we're living today, where there is so much domestic violence, rape, uh, violence against women, uh, the issues that we've had with the Catholic Church, who uh, many priests, predator priests, who actually violated, raped, traumatized a number of children, uh, boys and girls alike as well. Uh, Women are raped every day in this country and there's something you know something has got to be done and i have to say i i admire uh the work of the uh creators of the pussy church of modern witchcraft and besides it's a great name i want to read some emails that i've received from you uh dear maureen i'm a 58 year old female i can't climax anymore what can i do to help me my vibrator does not work anymore please help me uh you know, when I think of this, a 58-year-old woman, I think likely perimenopause uh, is uh, behind you. Perhaps you're even menopausal. And what happens is the estrogen receptors decrease in the urogenital tract, in the vagina, in the vulva, in the clitoris. The clitoris is strictly there for pleasure. There's 8,000 nerve endings. And so uh, they actually need to be nourished with estrogen. And so many women will report uh, report anecdotes of taking longer to experience orgasm or not to orgasm at all. So if this is the issue, you may try low-dose localized estrogen therapy or topical estrogen. It comes in the form of a cream, a tablet, or a ring that the ring stays inside of your vagina for three months. It has to be, and it delivers estrogen uh, routinely or slowly over the three months period, and it has to be changed by a healthcare professional. So if, especially if you're experiencing vaginal dryness, that means it can take a little bit longer, or you may not experience orgasm at all. Um, so try that, number one. And then number two, uh, or perhaps number one, no, but you know it's important to have a healthy vagina before you use the womanizer, which is a clitoral suckling device. Oh, about 70% of women require clitoral simulation in the form of suckling or touching or licking or... Um, you know, manipulating, stimulating the uh, clitoris. So uh, a lot of women are not educated about that and are not taught that. So there, you can climax again, <laughs> and it's a good thing. Um, also, I had another email from, and it was entitled, this fellow has emailed me before <laughs> a few times, My Abject Disappointments Again, with Maureen McGrath. Hello, Maureen. Listen to your second hour of The Health Show last week. 
where you attempted to give a dissertation on psychopaths. Unfortunately, you described quite nicely the traits of a sociopath. To underline the distinction, an incarcerated killer was given photos of persons in apparent distress. The inmate, after talking all the necessary time to examine these still pictures, stated, I don't know what you would call this emotion. I only know that this is what I see in the faces of person I'm about to stab. Quite the dichotomy. Kelly Ellard is a psychopath, as is the tag team of Carla Homolka and husband Carl Bernardo. I remember well when that story broke. Every feminist male apologist came out of the woodwork to declare Carla under the complete control of her psychopathic husband. Real funny how six videotapes of those events showed Carla right in there as a dirty shirt changed outlooks overnight. Can you try to get your terms correct, Maureen? I know what a sociopath is about. I survived one named as my legal stepmother, who did all in her power to make sure I understood I was nothing but a walking piece of, can't say the word on air, 50 times a day. I had my redemption by seeing my legal parents in court, convicted of child abuse in 1968. It didn't help that the group home was run by sociopaths and the social worker assigned was a sociopath also details can be provided on request terms are incredibly important try looking up traits of a sociopath for starters otherwise i give you yours john thanks john uh you know research suggests john that young women who later become psychopaths may look different than young men who present with the same disorder, quite honestly. And young women who later develop the disorder show a more relational type of aggression characterized by jealousy, self-harm, manipulation, and verbal aggression, all of which the women described displayed in my uh, segment last week. And you you can go to iTunes and listen to that. And according to other research, relational aggression amongst females is prominent, suggesting that women may display aggression differently than their male counterparts. They are manipulative and controlling, cunning, deceitful, don't take responsibility for their actions, are exploitative, and lack empathy. This is what I described on that second segment. There is a continuum of sociopaths and psychopaths in the world. So they're not always, when you personalize it, you may not actually get, um, you may not actually understand it properly. You may only think of in terms of your own situation. So as I said, the correct terms are important, but there are many elements akin to both female psychopathy and female sociopathy. Sociopaths, however, love bomb, demonstrate exaggerated speech, thrive off male attention, are sadistic, enjoy inflicting pain. This is not the person I described. So as I said, when you personalize issues, you limit your views and understanding because if it doesn't happen in the way it did to you, then it mustn't be true. Not the case. Thanks for your email. Another email. Hi, Maureen. Hope all is well with you. I'll listen to your show, and I thought you would. I would ask you about my friend's health issue, another friend issue. She's 58 years old, and for the past several years, she's always extremely hot, even in winter. She sweats and is very uncomfortable. Her period ended a few years ago, so not sure why she is so hot all the time. We go to the same family doctor who has not been able to help her resolve this. Do you have any suggestions? I actually suggest that she go to a doctor who can help her with hormone therapy because it sounds like she's experiencing night sweats for some women, menopausal symptoms, may last five years. It can last 10 years. For some women, it can last for the rest of their life. So if you missed a part of the show or want to get the show delivered to your podcast, please subscribe to the show on iTunes and feel free to share that on Twitter. 
Uh, so we have uh, lots more to talk about in the program. We're going to go to a break now. And, uh, and when I come back, some uh, great mid-life, midlife sex for you. And uh, also some uh, tips for getting back to school, having some success with getting the kids back to school. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I want to talk about mental health and sex because mental health issues prevent couples, many couples, from having sex and prevent them from having great sex. There are a number of relationships that are unconsummated. That's where couples don't have sex because of sexual difficulties, trauma, sexual dysfunction. We don't talk about these subjects. People feel embarrassed to talk about these subjects. According to the AXAPPP survey, one-third, a full 33% of Brits are fearful of getting naked, largely due to body image and self-esteem issues. And body image issues can result from being with somebody and them telling you that you need to take off some weight Um, and that can affect you. It can lead to an eating disorder in people. So watch out what you say. Um, Many unconsummated relationships, including marriages, are unspoken about because the reasons behind them are very complex. They can result from a psychological perspective. They can include a general lack of education, understanding of how sex works, how sexual intercourse works, fear, anxiety, shame or a past trauma, sexual abuse as a child. Also sexual dysfunction uh, like erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, performance anxiety in men and vaginismus which is a a spasmodic painful type of uh, sexual pain for women has been reported as well. Vulvodynia is an unbearable pain when genitals are touched and so we also have uh, may have difficulty with sex if we have suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder the psychological damage from low self-esteem, from unhealthy relationships, and these can all be difficult to overcome. Also, many people suffer with anxiety, depression, mental health disorders, bipolar. The medications can lead to low sexual desire. You can have chronic lack of libido, and that can impact your relationship. Some people may suffer from bouts of hypersexuality. They may be really embarrassed because they're not able to receive any sexual satisfaction from intimacy and they may be in pain and in, in emotional pain because of this. Medications have side effects. Uh, so there are many different aspects that may impact your sex life. And these are issues that cause relationships to end. So it's really important to get the counseling that you need to seek out help with a psychotherapist or relationship expert, a sex therapist, your physician. Each couple is unique and will have their own reasons and experiences for not consummating their relationships. And they're often linked to some type of anxiety around sex, which will impact sexual functioning. Uh, Sex is a a functional aspect of your body, and it's good to know how it works, how it should work, and then, you know, if it's not working properly. Many people who lack self-confidence have a lingering shame around sex. Um, You know, there's also guilt. Uh, Many People were taught not to have sex before marriage. They were told that sex is dirty and wrong. And so they hear these negative messages inside of their head all the time. And that can also lead to a less than satisfactory sex life. And and I, I see a lot of patients in my practice who... Uh, complain about the the type of sex, the kind of sex that's not satisfying or it's it's a quickie and you know with uh, school coming up there's more things to do now get the kids ready for school in the morning people are going to be more tired and so 
You're not going to have uh, as much time for sex. You're, typically, sex happens at the end of the day when people are most tired. May I suggest a little afternoon delight for you um, or a little AM uh, sex as well is is fun. So, you know, those are some of the relationship um goals that you want to have. You want to make sure that you're talking with your partner, that you're having a healthy, healthy dialogue, that you are, um, you know, you want to have a successful relationship. And there are certain things that you need to do, uh, you know, to go through these relationship steps, like, you know, getting past that infatuation. That's the newest part of any relationship. And it's when you're enjoying uh, getting together with somebody, you've got the butterflies in your stomach, but then it moves on to, uh, disturbance. It's uh, when infatuation is a fun stage, it doesn't last long. Many couples soon return to their routines and their everyday life settles in pretty quickly. Um, so we want to actually get past this stage, this this disturbance stage, past that infatuation um, without breaking up. And then every couple goes through some form of change of life in their relationship or in the life of their relationship. Um, maybe a partner you know, experiences a change in their life. They may become ill or they may lose a job. And this is a very delicate delicate stage of the relationship and you want to be able to get through that with understanding and discovery stages in relationships are about give and take. It's about finding out about what your life is going to be like as you continue in this relationship. That's when the connection begins and that's when couples come together and they become closer and regardless of the situation, the event, the issue, whatever, they find their way back to one another. There's always doubt in relationships, um, especially as you enter into the sex or intimate aspect of the relationship. So there's lots of different um, uh, stages of your relationship and you want to make sure that, um, that, you are, you're, that you're healthy and that you understand this could be a stage or a phase and that things will get better, that you've got to just uh, get through it and you know use some of the strategies to get through remaining calm, having some self-confidence, not having thinking somebody completes you. Uh, never marry your best friend. Uh, marry the guy who or uh, the woman who you have the best sex with. I get that that question all the time. Um, should I marry my best friend or should I marry somebody who I actually am attracted to? And I'm like, uh, the answer is B. Uh, anyway, I also, so once you have the sex, uh, you might have a baby. And what what's going on these days? We have these gender reveals. These gender reveals have become such a thing. We're celebrating everything today. There's always fanfare around these gender reveals. You know, uh, the first is the pregnancy am- announcement, and then there's the weekly progress notes, and then there's the gorgeous pictures that are taken of a beautifully pregnant women, um, and then, you know, before the baby shower, we have these reveal parties. And so uh, if you've ever browsed YouTube or Facebook, you've inevitably come across some of these photos of expectant parents' gender reveals. They're full-on parties centered around a special moment when the parents cut into a cake, pop balloons filled with confetti, hit a powder-filled baseball, or even set off fireworks to find out if they're having a boy or a girl. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of a fun thing to do uh, if, if you're into that type of thing. Um, but anyway, the, eventually the child comes along and the baby. And, you know, the, it's like Christmas every day when there's a baby in the house. Love it, love it. But, um, you know, then those babies, they actually grow up and they go back to school. And we're at that back-to-school stage right now. And so I have some tips for parents. You know, get along in front of your children. Don't give them anything to be anxious about. Give them security. This is a time of hope and pressure when they go back to school. So, you know, make sure you have dinners every night. Hold them accountable for their actions. Also, get in between kids, your kids, and drugs immediately. Uh, Speaking of sex, 
Children can actually suck the life out of your sex life. So you know what? Hire a babysitter, have a date night, Uh, no kids or anyone else for that matter in the marital bed. Put a lock on your bedroom door. A lot of people don't do this, which surprises me. Talk about things other than your children and demonstrate to your children that your relationship with the other parent is important, whether you are with the other parent or not. Okay, never say anything negative about uh, the other parent. Always show respect because that will result in anxiety for your child and that may lead to other issues in their life. Uh, reasonable bedtimes for everybody, and then that way your intimacy may be uh, a little bit, uh, may improve if everybody goes to bed at a certain time so people aren't going to bed when they're exhausted. Be on the same page as parents, whether you are together or not, or whether you agree on something. Sometimes you can't, you know, die on the hill on a particular thing. You've got it. It's a compromise, but you let your children know the two of you think the same. That's critical. No TV Sunday to Thursday. No going out on school nights. Homework is to be done and done by the children. <laughs> this one is important. Uh, there was one time when one of my kids was in school, we were at a dinner party and one of them was like six and and somebody at the dinner party said, okay, which parent, not, not me, uh, not uh, my husband or myself, but another couple, which um, parent did this architectural rendition of, you know, the neighborhood. And obviously it was one of the parents who had done it. So don't do that. Let your kids fail. Uh, that's the only way that they learn. Um, you want to set hard and fast times each evening that the whole family has a study hall. It's important that they do their work, that their work is applauded. And A is for effort, silent, dedicated work time around the dining room table. And so school is school. There are curriculums for a reason. Some schools might be better than others, but ultimately it's about the child. How well your child does depends on them, how, how hard they work at something and what effort they put in. So give them a secure family life, a home life, a model good behavior around organization and work ethic and and respect. Parenting school-age children will, while making it happen in a full-time career, can actually feel like a, uh, you're running uphill in a marathon. It's long, it's constant, and steep. But remember, school won't be the only place your child gets their education. Your parents also uh, teach your children well. You teach them the greatest lessons in life. And uh, so one last thing, breakfast is really important. You know, you need that energy to get um, so your brain can think properly. And so I wanted to give you one of my favorite breakfast um, recipes to feed a crowd. And it's a loaf of French bread, the fat French bread. You buy that. Rip it up into one inch cubes. They don't have to be exact. And um, and then you cover it with French toast Um uh, French toast, uh, whatever, whatever you make French toast with, which is in my recipe calls for 12 eggs, um, a cup of cream, two cups of milk, nutmeg, two tablespoons of granulated sugar, cinnamon, and then you pour that over the casserole dish, which has been buttered um, with the French toast cubes, and you stick it in the fridge. And that's what I, why I also love it, because you can make it ahead of time. And then the next morning, you just... Wash some blueberries, throw them on top, stick the whole thing in the oven for about 35, 40 minutes at 350 and uh, serve with syrup and the ever important whipped cream. Always important. You can't skip whipped cream. <laughs> like, don't no, even try. you can't. One of my favorite foods. No surprise there. Um, anyway, so remember when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. Andrew, thank you for a bang up job behind the boards tonight. And uh, follow me on Twitter. Go to iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast. I'd really appreciate it. And uh, listen, have a great start to the school days. And remember, um, you know, stay with one another. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app. 
TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.